All right, welcome in week seven of the Fezzik Focus podcast. I'm AJ Hoffman. He is the only two-time Super Contest champion, Steve Fezzik. Steve, how you doing, man? I am excellent. I love week seven. I asked my son, he's studying probability. He's 10. What's the odds of rolling a seven with two die? And I was so proud of him. You know what he said? What did he say? He said it's one-sixth daddy. Kids are going to have to map out the 36 equally likely permutations then, and then take the one, six, two, five, et cetera. Six of them sum to seven. Six, 36 simplifies to one, six. He says, but the sharp kids realize the first die don't matter because no matter what you roll on the first die, you can still seven out with the second one, thus one sixth. Boy, my kid would probably fight your kid, I think. We know who would win. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Is I'm, that elegant or what? I, I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right. Let's talk. Uh, let, let's, let's get into things. You said you love week seven. Is is there something about week seven that sticks out to you in general? Or do you just feel like this is a part of season where you're, where you're really starting to figure out who everybody really is? No, I actually love week seven because I'm somewhat lazy and because it, three there's six teams on the bye week. So there's less games less to games analyze. To it's actually one of the worst weeks from the volume means more opportunities. So it's easier as a media guy to talk about all the games, but it's really much more difficult to find winners and with fewer games, now there's only 13 games to analyze, even easier for the odds makers and the betters to hammer the lines in place faster. Well, let's start with a text that you sent me last night about a team total or a, a season win total that's available out there in some places on DraftKings and some other places. Uh, but tell, tell us your thoughts on Cleveland's win total right now. Yeah, so Cleveland Browns season win number to start the year was 10 and a half. And some places are still putting these up as the year progresses. What's this? There's a Cleveland Browns total, and it's still 10.5. Extra vig to the under, round minus 135. Who cares? I mean, the Browns, have the Browns been meeting expectations? No, they're 3-3. Three and three. They're, All three losses came against the teams that you would have said they were, you know, th- their peers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the Chiefs. The Chargers, the Cardinals, those are the teams that the Browns want to be in the grouping with. All the teams that they beat, Texans, Bears, Vikings. Vikings may be more mid-grade than those other two teams, but that there's nobody who's in the same group that the the Browns want to be in, especially if they're a 10-and-a-half win team. So probably that 10-and-a-half is wrong. We probably should lower it maybe by half a game at least to 10. Well, are the, are the Browns trending upward? Are they looking healthy? Well, Baker Mayfield not going to play this Thursday, so that's that would tell me they are not trending upward. But they can rely on that backfield, that dual-headed monster. Neither of no? those guys will play this weekend either. So you, you get my point. You've got a Baker that's going to be injured all year long. Uh, you got the running back, the strength of the team, both of them injured. This number is just completely ludicrous. And what happens a lot of times, and it happens to me as a pro better, I like I get so fascinated with betting futures and games of the year and season wins. And then what happens is I forget there's going to be better opportunities. And here's one of them. This is a lock. The Browns are not going to win 11 games. When I say it's a lock, it's going to win 78% of the time. So under 10 and a half, you know, outstanding value. If you can get to it to play the Browns, they're probably going to, I'm going to make a bold statement. They're going to lose Thursday. Um, I know the game's close to a pick them and the Browns are a slight favorite against Denver. If they lose, they got to go eight and two the rest of the way. I'll go as far as to say if they lose Thursday, you can just cash your ticket. It is a lock. If they win, it's still a fine investment. So the the Browns, who 
I think that there's a lot of, you know, dis disparate thoughts on if they are a good defensive team or not. Because you, if you remember, they were the first team that saw Justin Fields when he had one net yard of, of passing. Uh, <laughs> and they, they crushed that team. And then... One per play? No, for the whole game. One for the game. And then they go to Minnesota and they win that game 14-7. to And you're going, oh, man, they held this Vikings offense that had kind of been rolling, held them to seven points. Rolling after also. And then it looks like, wow, maybe the Browns' defense is onto something here. And then the Chargers put up 47. The did, Cardinals... convert, did convert 11 fourth downs. <laughs> Fair. NFL record, yeah. Cardinals put up 37. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, is this Browns' defense good? Yeah, that 37 and... is is not looking – on a windy day in Cleveland, that's not looking yeah. good at all. So yes. I, I don't know what the Browns' defense is. I know it's certainly not as good as we saw it look against the Vikings. Maybe it's not as bad as it looked against the, the Cardinals and the Chargers, but – I don't know. I mean, they've got some good bodies on that team, but is it a good team? I think that's TBD. So I, I actually like that bet. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Uh, I also wanted to get your thoughts on this. Monday Night Football. The decision to go for it on fourth and one, and all the bots and the analytics said this was the right call. Make your case. Yeah, not even close. So You've got a really good offense. You've got a really sky-high total. The offenses have the advantage against the defenses, but that don't matter. You could have the Pittsburgh Steelers playing Seattle. I'm trying to think of what's the po the lowest possible total we could have. Regardless, it's fourth and one. Basic strategy says you run Belichick. What's Belichick? You rush to the line of scrimmage, you put out three wide receivers, and you run a quarterback sneak, and you get it every time. Well, they didn't run Belichick, so the play call I don't like. Uh, and Josh Allen didn't get his footing, and ultimately that's what really what cost them. If he had got just gotten his footing, even though he was somewhat stuffed, he would have picked up you know two feet and gotten the first down. The bottom line is they make it about 80% of the time. If they make it, then they wind up winning probably 85% of the time. They win about 70% of the time by going for it, or they can just kick, and then they win you know, right around 50%, maybe 55%. So it's not close. 70 is bigger than 55. And yet people love to come back in and second guess the thoughts. And I, you know what it is? It's just human nature that people want the players to decide a game and it not to be decided by one play. All right. And poker players used to make this mistake. They used to be so averse to being aggressive. Like they used to say, can't go all in on a draw. Well, you know what? If you got a straight draw and you got a flush draw and you got an overcard, you can shove all in. And you don't mind if somebody calls you because now you got so many, you got 18 outs and you're going to win, you know, close to 64% of the time. It's fine. And it's just, it's amazing how all these guys, and they'll even say, they'll acknowledge now. They didn't used to acknowledge the analytics guys. Now they're like, well, normally these announcers say the same thing. What they say is, normally I'm pretty aggressive when it comes to these things, but I really would have taken the points. And no, no. What they're really saying is, normally I'm pretty aggressive compared to my dinosaur brethren announcers that have no clue what they're doing. So I'll at least consider going for it before rejecting it. And the truth is, it's 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 that easy. Just look at the chart. You go for it. Fourth and one. Fourth and one, you go for it. You need a really strong reason not to go for it. And guess what? 99% of the coaches out of 100 would be better off. No, I'll make a bold statement. You'd just be better off always going for it fourth and one, even if you're on your own nine-yard line. Okay, it's wrong. It's wrong to go for it fourth and one from your own nine. But at least you're, if you do it every single time, the few times it's wrong will be more than offset by all the times that's right. I asked McKenzie this, and, and 
I'll ask you the same question in a different game that week, the the London game. Uh, Brian Flores goes for it fourth down and one from his own territory with under a minute left. I, I always kind of lean towards if you think you're the better team, you want to play for overtime. Or, or I mean, and if, if you're the, the dog, for instance, you, you just take your chances. You shoot your shot. The, the Dolphins go for it fourth and one. They don't get it. Basically, just give the Jags the game at that point. So it's it's a punt the ball and let your defense try to hold for 50 seconds or don't get fourth and one and you certainly lose the game. Did you think that was the right call? What yard line was he on for Miami? Where, where were they, McKenzie? We say the 38? Yeah, 36. 36. Okay, so if you if you punt the ball, I'll say you – I'm going to simplify the assumptions – you're going to lose 20% of the time in regulation, and then you go to overtime. I'm going to call it 50-50 because the line was two and a half on the game. So you're going to win 40% of the time if you punt the ball, all right? If you go forward and miss, you're probably going to lose the game, all right? And Almost you're, certainly. You're going, to, you're going to get it 60% of the time, and you're going to probably win the game 70% of the time if you make it. So it's close. Now it's remember, close. It's close. fourth and one with Josh Allen is different than fourth and one with Tua. It, and what it comes down to, are you going to run Belichick? Well, then, great, do it. Are you, are you, are you going to run Urban Meyer, where you stack the line of scrimmage and, and, and jumbo backfield, run it up the middle? Well, then punt the ball, all right? So if, you, if you're going to put, put up a stupid jumbo backfield type of run, then punt, because that's. but everyone knows you don't do that. And, you know, even though you know... I'll give an example. Like you should, everyone should try to compliment more people. All right, we just don't compliment enough people. So I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to give you a compliment, AJ. Okay. You are really looking fit. I can tell that you've lost weight. Thank you, Steve. And and even though you knew, even though I told you I was going to compliment you, you're still happy because uh, it was right. genuine. And bottom line is the same thing with going with it on fourth and one. If you put the wide receivers out there, you have to cover them. You have to cover them, and there, there's three more guys you don't have to block because they essentially have been blocked. Your wide receivers are blocking you know, their cornerbacks, and you've eliminated them, and so there's always a little gap to get through. All right, let's talk about a trend that you like uh, this week, and it's a pretty pretty solid trend it looks like too. Yeah, I got this one from Steve Mackinen, sharp guy, and since 1999, teams coming in, road teams off a of bye that are favored, I've been dynamite against the spread, 83 and 49 and two. Long-term trend. Mackenzie, maybe when you get a chance, you can run and confirm that during this podcast so we can um, – so, again, it's just a team off of a bye, their road, and they're favored. And two teams um, fall into this category, Atlanta at Miami and New Orleans at Seattle. And, frankly, both those spreads look a little inflated to me. And I was like, what's going on? Well, I think we have our answer. And why would should this work? Well, it makes logical sense. When is a road team most vulnerable? When they're fat and happy and they're looking past their opponent. Well, anyone off of a bye is ready to go. You know, they're not banged up and they haven't had a tough um, game and they're rearing to play football again. So it makes sense that those teams, we always talk, RJ always focuses on that. We want a focused favorite when we're looking at away favorite. So because of that, you know, initially I was looking towards Miami. No way I'm playing Miami against that trend. It, Atlanta and Monday Night Football, New Orleans qualify. And again, just playing a road favorite off of a bye, 83-49-2. I'm surprised that you said you were looking at Miami because it, I know that you love, like, you, you care a lot more than I do about 
you know, rest and travel and things like that. And Miami being the first team ever to play a game in London and not take their bye week the next week. So this is a huge disparity and rest between these two teams. Yeah, and fastest man in the business, Mackenzie Rivers. He's going to go back all the way back to 1989. And he has that the road favorite off the bye being 105, 71, and 1. Let's do some math. I think that's um, that's about 6 out of 10, 60%. All yes, right. sir. Fastest um, math geek in the in the business, right there. <laughs> uh, let's. Uh, you you asked me about like the situation. Mm-hmm. The situation really sucks. For Miami. really sucks for Miami. They're just in London and now. They got to play at home. Well, it doesn't suck as bad. Let me make my case why it's not that bad. Uh, situation was there last week. We could have bet this game, and last week Miami was laying two and a half. All right, so. Maybe and maybe we should have. Maybe we should have bet Atlanta, um, although they, they weren't favored at the time, so they were by team that was. But the, uh, the the situation hasn't changed. Atlanta, nope, haven't run any plays. They've done nothing to change their power rating. Miami, slightly outplayed Jacksonville. Ball didn't bounce right at the very end, and the one of the idiot kickers actually made two fifty four yarders, and so Jacksonville got. By, but Jacksonville could easily have missed that field goal. By the way, do you check out the Dolphin on the tying field goal, pulling the the uh, Cincinnati Bengal kicker impression, yeah. celebrating the missed kick Ooh, that then uh, not a good look. it sliced and then <laughs> hooked. So you know, uh, Mercury is in retrograde apparently in London. You know, it's different different longitude, similar latitude, <laughs> and that, that that apparently changes the spin of the ball. Maybe it would in the southern hemisphere, <laughs> but at, at regardless, the ball backed up and then hooked. And went through. Uh, I I had one. This number five on our list here. It's a pro betting secret. You're going to have to explain to me exactly what this means. You should rarely play bets more than five cents versus the penny reduced VIG places. Yeah. So Pinnacle Sports, we spoke, we speak about them, and they basically have dealt reduced VIG as their model. And depending upon the sport, they'll charge anywhere from minus 108. I believe in the NFL, they only charge you minus 104 on a lot of sports, minus 105. So all things being equal, if the line is 20 in a game, minus 20, lay 105 on the favorite or the dog. All right. And then betting betters come in. Well, they don't move it five cents when they take a bet. They'll move it oftentimes like three cents. So it'll become like minus 20, lay 108. And their side will be plus 20, lay 102. Let's say you love the underdog. You love that underdog, okay? You love South Carolina catching the points, or regardless of what game it is. And you can bet it a penny, and you can bet plus 20, and you only have to lay 102. And you want to give it out to all your clients. I would suggest, ne- I, I almost never do this. I never say never, but I'm like, you know what? If I personally can bet something and lay minus 105 or, or less on the game at a really sharp book, it is so rare that that bet actually has value at plus 20, laying at dollar 10, which is what my clients would have to play it at because they don't have access right. to the Pinnacle or the Matchbook or whichever book we're you know, talking about. The, the Las Vegas, uh, the Westgate uh, on Thursday has minus 105. And so because of that, I'm extremely sensitive to the fact that that book is telling me, hey, South Carolina is not much of a bargain. I'm just throwing South Carolina as an example. Right. It's not necessarily that. The plus that 20 like side game. you're saying is not much of a bargain. Exactly. So I'm extreme. Now, you got to be careful with this, all right? I don't care what Pinnacle's dealing on FCS games when they open up on Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Okay. Okay? They can put up a line at, at 4, and I know the line should be 11, okay? 
Um, there's um, because they're just guessing, and their limits are two hundred fifty dollars. So, but FBS and, and NFL, they're going to be sharp. But yes, by the time we hit midweek, uh, and they're taking big limits, then these numbers more often than not, it, it's extremely difficult to beat a pinnacle sports. It's not extremely difficult to beat a lot of other books that deal soft numbers, such as the Cleveland under 10.5 wins. <laughs> Curiously, yes, Pinnacle's not dealing a number on the Cleveland Browns season win number right now. So, um, you know, it's just one of the pro secrets that we, uh, I personally am extremely reluctant. I don't even want to bet the plus 20 lay 102. I'll bet it for like half of a normal bet. But by contrast, let's say I love the underdog. I've just done my handicap. Now I'm looking at the market, and Pinnacle's dealing plus 20 lay $1.16. And everyone else is dealing twenty, and you can lay a dollar ten. Now it's my game of the week. You okay. Know? okay, I love it, and I'm getting the exclamation point from a sharp book that indeed that is what they feel is the right side. Of and is Pinnacle the book you consider to be the sharpest? It depends, um, but yes, as far as the widely available books, I would say yes that are on the screen. There's other books. There's a few like books out there that like deal reduced vig. And they're not very um, well-known and the like. And oftentimes those books midweek don't give me any information. But come Saturday morning, it's I'll use an example. Um, I love the, the, uh, the San Francisco uh, game Sunday night to go under. All right. So I played under 45. And part of the reason I loved under 45, got the weather report on it, is I took a look. And pretty much everyone in Vegas was dealing 45. And I said, let me bet this under 45 reduced. Couldn't find it. All the reduced VIG places had 44 and a half. So they'd already been hit. So it was an example of the syndicates out there or they, or just sharp individual bettors gobbling up. Why play under 45, lay $1.10 when you can lay 105? While those bets had moved these smaller books um, you know, that, uh, that were dealing. And at the time, Pinnacle was dealing under 45, lay 108. So um, they were leaning under. A little bit, but a lot of pros don't want to take out the pinnacle because guess what? You bet it's a two thousand dollar limit on pinnacle early in the week. Boom, you bet under. Now it's minus fourteen at, at pinnacle. All right, the memo is going out. McKenzie sees everybody's that. Moving it. McKenzie sees the under forty five lay fourteen. He's like, hmm, what's going on with that San Francisco game? <gasps> the fog. <laughs> the fog is rolling in like the mist in a Stephen <laughs> King movie. You know, no one will be able to see more than ten yards forward. No, I mean it's likely to be rain and it's a grass field and it's not a very conducive field to it's not a fast field anyways so under it was does there like when i was when i was looking at that game this week the 49ers colts game i feel like i can't really do anything until i know more about what's happening at quarterback with san francisco are we assuming that jimmy garoppolo is going to play oh i think it's it's pretty much decided am i wrong mckenzie it's going to be jimmy g right return to practice monday yeah there we go he's playing Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll believe it. I, that, that makes sense to me. Uh, and listen, if both guys are banged up and he's already said, this is my guy when he comes back, when he's healthy, Garoppolo's my guy, that, that seems to make sense. All right, your world is getting bigger as the NBA tipped off last night. Let's talk some, let's talk some of that. First, let's talk about the betting futures and how you don't see a lot of value necessarily because the market just doesn't allow for it. Yeah, oh my goodness, this is going to be controversial. But it's that time of year where everyone's talking about college basketball is about to start and all the outstanding value that you can get betting this, that, or the other team, et cetera, et cetera. The truth is, and here's the, here's the real truth. 
the betting futures is one of the greatest um, profitable markets for all the sports books. These sports books love to come out and say, boy, we really get beat up if the Cubs win the World Series. And they are just laughing their butts off. You know what they're saying? What, what they're really saying is they're saying, if the Cubs win the World Series, we're only going to make 20000 If anybody else wins, we're going to make 400000 you know, they're not going to get beat up at all. And the reason is the house VIG is so high when you add up all these bets, they're taking 40, 50 percent. The sharpest books, the nicest books in the world are taking 30 percent. The bottom line is nobody wins versus market numbers. I'll repeat, nobody wins. Now, my my good friend and pro better Brad is listening to this podcast. He's like, Fez, I win. I win all the time. I show you my bets, and I agree with him. He does win, and he kicks butt. But why does he win? Because he doesn't bet against market numbers. He bets against Dumbo books that go ahead and give him things that he should not be allowed to bet. So he's betting things like um, what will be the coach of the year, and he's taking the Bengals idiot coach at, at 35 to 1 and um, and Taylor. And well, that number's not widely available, but some book has it out there. But the widely available number is much worse than that number. So the truth is, is I, if I had a dollar for every time on the media where guys are saying, you know, I love Gonzaga, I bet Gonzaga, I've got him in my pocket at 11 to 1, but there's value even at the current 6 to 1. No, there's not value at 6 to 1. Thank you very much. There was value at your ticket at 11 to 1. And so stop trying to make it think that just because you bet a good number, that that team still has value going forward. Case in point, I'll throw myself under the bus. Last, uh, when the Rams started 4-0, and I told RJ, on oh, the Rams, 4-1, to tremendous value. Um, yeah, if I had gotten them at, you know, I think I had bet them at 5-1. to So, again, it's an example of what I bet it at probably is not what you're going to get. And you know what? The Rams, within a couple hours, were like 3-1, to and it went from being a good bet to a bad bet. So you can make money betting futures. You can't bet money listening to the experts telling them, what futures to play after a couple the days num- later? A, a couple days later, yes. Uh, unless, unless, unless it's RJ Bell and it's the NBA division. I think we all know how that turned out. You know, twelve that's a, to one, baby. That is a great example. That was the perfect storm. So we all made money on Phoenix twelve to one to win the Pacific, and that really was a great example of the perfect storm. It, it's so rare that this happens because you could get down. The, I think the market number was like ten. There were twelve to ones that were available. But even if you look at the market at 10 to 1, that had outstanding value. And what the perfect storm was, you had a, you had not one but two public teams in a division, the Lakers and the Clippers, along with a team that never had had any success that was gelling and completely undervalued in Phoenix. And so that that's an excellent example. So when I say you're never going to win on futures, you're probably going to be able to find one a year that actually has value. Good luck distinguishing which one it is. RJ did a great job. And, you know, um, you know Brad Powers, um, back-to-back years, he, he gave out Heisman winners and runner-ups that were like 100 to 1. So there are exceptions to the rule because even when Brad gave that out, that was available at like 80 to 1 on those, on those bets. But they're just so few and far between. And guess what? They're not NFL teams. They're not college basketball teams, typically. They're things they are more—both of those examples, isn't it interesting? And, and I brought up the Taylor on the Coach of the Year. They're more obscure bets that aren't um, readily—it isn't readily um, obvious or available what the actual odds are on these things, and they tend to stay out there longer. Exactly right. I mean— how many of us knew there was division bets in the NBA before last year? You know, you got to find those needles in the haystacks. Exactly. You know, and as far as the needle in the haystack, like it wouldn't surprise me. Boom, right off the bat. 
Um, you know, Mackenzie, maybe you can look up. Let's talk about that Pacific Division. We're going to talk about the Lakers because the Lakers were supposed to win 51 and a half games, as was um, the Phoenix Suns. Uh, and Golden State, uh, I believe, was at 48 and a half. And that was quite a convincing game. Before the season started, we would have bet a whole lot of money. The Lakers would have a better record than Golden State. Hmm. Not so much anymore. Probably pretty equal team. So I'm gonna, I, would, I would imagine you could probably look towards Golden State or Phoenix. And maybe, maybe there might be some value on that bet. The I was thinking that game last night, The obviously the... It's a good, a good win for the Golden State Warriors. They didn't even play that well. I mean, Steph Curry, he had a triple-double, but it, it's not like he was on fire. You know, I mean, Golden shooting State, numbers were bad. Yeah, you, great point. So Curry gets held to 20. Um, he shoots, like, t- under 25% from three. Yeah. And, it, and, and um, LeBron and AD both played very well. Both scored a whole bunch of points. You know, my takeaway is, uh, what is the dude for, playing for Golden State? I think he's a forward. Uh, Belicha. Belicha. Who who is this Belicha? <laughs> got to watch more Sacramento Kings, Fez. He's who? been a, he's been a baller. He's he's you know kind of fallen off the last couple of years, but he's he's a good bet. Well, Bel- Bellini. I'll call him, I'm going to call him, you know, I'm going to call him Peach Bellini was like the ultimate team player in terms of making the right pass, making the right smart basketball decision, the exact type of role player that you want, you know, and, and, and just, I, I looked at the ball movement and the way and the unselfishness. And then like, it's the fourth quarter, the Lakers are still in it. And Russell Westbrook, just, just like, he, he's trying to be Usain Bolt, you know, rushing down the court and throws up this God awful long Brick layup, you know, from like seven feet. And I'm like, there's no way that's going in. And it kind of sets the tone. I, I hate to draw any kind of conclusions, but based upon one game, the Westbrook experiment, McKenzie's a fair to say it's off to a bad start. Terrible start. Couldn't have looked worse. Went under his points, under his rebounds, under his assists. To his credit, though, he looked just as bad his first 20 games with Houston, his first 20 games with Washington, much better in the second half of the year. So we'll see how it goes for L.A. Oh, okay. So we have the Pacific Division odds updated one game out of 82 is meaningless, so the Lakers were even money. Suns, 2-1. to one. Warriors, plus 450. Since it's 82 games, we shouldn't overreact. I agree with that. However, we should react. You have to assume that the Warriors' chances have gone up significantly. However, have they gone up enough to overcome the god-awful, viggy, huge house vig that is associated with these bets? Probably not. But if I had to make a bet force bet, I'd bet Golden State plus 450. Would you bet that, McKenzie? I would. I think Clay Thompson's been underrated for years. He comes back later this month or later was, next month. I was going to say, they're the one team that's getting like a valuable piece back at some point this year. And who knows what percent he'll be. But you also know that at some point, Anthony Davis is going to be hurt for a good chunk of the season. You know, LeBron may be hurt for a good chunk of the season. So I, I agree with you. And I, Chris Paul's just Chris Paul. Always, he's always he's an abdominal strain away from Thanksgiving to <laughs> yeah. make you the favorite. Right. So to me, I, I'm with you. And, and not that the, the Warriors are immune to, to injuries. Certainly they're, they're not. But I like the team that they've brought brought in this season. I. I, I watched some of that game last night. I thought they got good contributions from Andre Iguodala, who I I didn't think was even like in the league anymore. And he's out there putting up meaningful, impactful minutes in, in opening night against the Lakers. So I, I I like what the Warriors have working right Put now. Put me down, official bet. I'll take I'll take Golden State plus four fifty. And and like as far as searching around for a bet, 
Um, and a few books did have this right when the game ended. I bet the Lakers would not get the one or the two seed in the West. So they'd be worse than the two seed. Guess what odds I got on that bet? Um, I would guess close to even money. Exactly right. Isn't it, that amazing? That is pretty good. I mean, when you think about because Utah is supposed to win 53 and a half games and there's a whole bunch of good teams. I think you throw a blanket over, um, you know, Denver and the Lakers and Phoenix and the like. And and there's always a surprise. Like Phoenix was a surprise last year. There's always a team that comes out of nowhere. The bottom line is if I said an over under, what's it going to take to get the number two seed in the West? I'd probably throw out like 55, 56 games, right? Something that seems like about that. right. Yeah. M- McKenzie made a good point yesterday about the, you know, the highest win total on the board is at 55 and a half right now. Two years ago, 2019, so last or 2020, I guess the last time they had a full NBA season, uh, there was six teams with 55 and a half or more preseason win total. So like uh, the all the numbers have come down. Well, that was back when the, the when the best players played. Yeah, before <laughs> load before load management. I right, right. Although you know, you look at Dallas, you look at the Denver, both at 48, and it. You, you you stack enough of these teams up and you say, well, if I can take Golden State, Dallas, and Denver, what's the best record going to be of those three teams? I'd probably say I expect one of them to win 54 games, something like that. See, that, that also got me thinking, and, and the reason why I think that uh, Russ Westbrook can be valuable long-term to the Lakers is when, in, when these stints happen where Anthony Davis is inevitably out or LeBron is inevitably out, I think that you can, he's the kind of guy who can keep you competitive, even if it's just him and four other guys on the on the. It's uh... a great point. That's a great point, and I think, and you might you might make the case, uh, the rare case. We've always talked about the Lakers are better in the playoffs. They're better in the playoffs where they LeBron takes a, a big step up. Maybe that's not the case this year. Maybe this is a case where, with some load management, that Westbrook helps them win some more games. But they just simply the, the the compilation of all the sum of the parts is not as good because the, I don't know if those guys are going to coexist well at all. And bottom line is, you know, Westbrook can't shoot. He can't shoot. I don't understand these guys that can't shoot. You know, why is it that set shot Buford from the fish that say Pittsburgh never missed with no athletic talents? And Ben Simmons can't make a free throw? And Ben Simmons can't make a free throw, but Brad Powers, you can put two plaster casts on his wrists, and I still would bet he could make two out of three. I started thinking also about, like, who are the teams that have one guy who they're really, really dependent on in the, in the load management era are those guys? Are those teams likely to to be under win total teams because they're going to be the teams that are most you know adversely affected by it? But then the, when I really started to look at the two teams that jump out the most to me as teams that could be good but they really really depend on one guy, Portland and Dallas. Mm. Yes, they're, their two guys don't load manage though. Both those guys basically go out and play every night, and so it's 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 really the teams that have multiple stars that are more willing to play that load management game. Yeah, that's interesting because might that change for Portland? Might we see lowered? Remember, he couldn't load management because they weren't going to make the playoffs last yeah. year. If he didn't, you know, that was a real struggle. But, I mean, do they, feel like, do they feel like they're good enough that he can take 20 games off this year and they'll still make the playoffs? I can't imagine they feel that way. Supposed to win forty-five. Warriors so, are supposed to be better this year. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, but the if you if you stack the West is not as strong as it as it was in prior years, and some of the ancillary playoff teams 
have um, have definitely fallen off like New Orleans, for instance. I think we can I think New Orleans is probably the ninth best team in, in the West forecasted, and they might win 35 games. One of the teams there's I'm a bonus at. play. Play New Orleans under. And I think it, it, is, RJ likes that. Uh, McKenzie loves that. He said, right, McKenzie, you love it. It's a one man team, and that one man is hurt again. Zion Williamson. Hmm. One of the teams that I've been waiting for them, I love their roster. I keep thinking they're going to get better. And I, I don't watch enough NBA to feel comfortable betting NBA. I, I used to bet the NBA and I lost. So I just said, you know, I'm losing all the time. I'm just going to stop betting the NBA. Uh, but I like Memphis. I, I think Memphis's roster, they should be getting more out of it than they mm -hmm. have been. I think at some point those guys come together and do something. And they're at 41 and a half. So all I got to do is be over 500. Uh, I'm kind of interested in Memphis. So, McKenzie, do you love it? Oh, that's a long delay. I'm going to go no. Okay, never mind. I'll Don't love to, it, no. I'll stick to not betting the NBA. I'm just looking forward to, like, but what I love is, like, when I come in and I'll, I'll McKenzie will have a winner, and I'll say, so you really loved the Bulls the other night? And he's like, yeah, I tweeted it. Like, 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 like the Mackin on sports, the McKenzie Twitter yeah. is like, it, 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 it is, is like mandatory reading. So I guess it is. Well, it should be, of course. Well, McKenzie, what's your Twitter? At Mackin Rivers. Appreciate it, Fez. You got it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have, I have a friend. I always, I, I, I know what I do is whenever he says I tweeted it, I text him. I go text, 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 reminder, text, 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 <laughs> text, text. You don't have my text. alerts on yet? Uh, okay. Text. I'll text you. I'll text you. Text. And um, and if it's really really good, I'm like text bet text bet 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 like guys guys that bet for me and I I, I use this example like this is the, the one of the most actionable items I can give you for everyone out there that's a sharp better already that has friends that are sharp betters, don't have your sharp betters text you who they, who they who they like all right. I understand the whole idea of oh filter it and see if you like it and then you can bet it. No, there's no time. You're dropping your son off to school to say you know what if you love a bet, AJ if you love a bet. I want you to text me, Fez. You got three hundred. I got you plus seven. Okay. Thank you. Just, just get me down. I don't know that I'm that. Just bold. get. I don't care. I'm never gonna. I'm like, and people will sometimes. I'll say, I love this bet. Get me down, and they'll be. For, for, uh, they'll say for how much, and I'll say a zillion, and then they'll text back. You got eight hundred. Okay. The idea. <laughs> the idea is that you're never gonna give me a number that's gonna be as much as I want to get. You know how much Cleveland under eleven wins? How much? <laughs> You feel, you feel good about it. You All get right. the idea, yes. Uh, let's talk one more one more topic, betting props early versus overnights. Yeah, the uh, you know, we have a pro plan to win in the NBA betting, and all these other pros are coming up with these beautifully constructed um, methodology that they're going to use and they've had success with. And I kind of broke from the trend. I, I came in and said, I really don't know. I don't know how I'm going to beat NBA sites. That's there's, what I would say. They're so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and same with totals, and I'll rely on my on my um, my experts, and I'll look for certain situational spots absolutely, and try to get get to them before anyone else. However, I'm still confident that I can beat the crap out of the NBA. Why? Because I know where it's beatable. It's like playing poker. If you can identify where the soft games are, like McKenzie used to go, like go downtown and he'd play against the donkeys over at Fitzgerald's before it was the D and you beat the living hell out of those players. Right, McKenzie? The thing about it, and you taught me this, the reason those places are so good is there's no parking. Pros like me, pros that live in Vegas want to, you know, get to a place real quick like the MGM. You go to the Golden Knight, there's no parking. It's all tourists. Therefore, it's all money. Pros are lazy. 
So pros will like go to the win and play the one three at the win. But a one three game at the win is usually not as nearly as good because it's so easy to get in and out of the win uh, versus the MGM, which is a pain in the butt. You got to park at Hooters and walk across the street or walk through the you know the, the nightmare. I guess it's not it's not Hooters. It's Oi Oi now O Y O Y O Oyo. Yeah, Toyota. Oyo. You yeah, got to park Oyo. a Toyota and go across. So, so, the, so the bottom line is that that's, you know, and also a great example is at the World Series of Poker. Mackenzie, you're going to love this one. I would see this for years. You'd hear this announcement. 2-5 table opening, table 39, new table. And no one moves. You've got all these guys that are like weigh like 500 pounds that are sitting playing 2-5. <laughs> It's like, which is going to be tougher, a 2-5 table that's been in play for eight hours or a table with nine brand-new players that are all sitting down together? Well, of course the new table is going to be better. You know why? Survivor bias. Right. Any table, any player that's been playing for four hours probably is pretty decent, whereas the guy whose wife is playing the slots that's in for convention is going to sit down. All you had to do is see rounders, you know, and, and Matt Damon says it best. These guys, the truth is these guys are simply outmatched. And they'll last about 45 minutes at a table. And guess what? You get eight of those. When, when you have a brand new table opening up, I would say maybe you'll get two to three pros. Whereas if you just sit down at a 2-5 table at the World Series of Poker, probably you're going to get f- have five or six pros on that table. Does that sound about right, Mackenzie? Yeah, sounds about right to me. And by the way, if you really want to win at gambling, if you read out Ed Miller's book, um, Winning at Low Stakes Hold'em, and you really want to win, you want to really just try a little bit, I would say it might take me a weekend to teach you how to win playing poker, but it's really that easy. In fact, I'm going to teach you in 30 seconds. Can I? May I? Yeah, let me get my notepad out. 30 seconds. Mackenzie, write this down. Um, Ace-King, Ace-Queen, 10 through Aces. Those are the only hands you're allowed to play. I understand there's all these other playable hands. I only have 18 seconds left, all right? If you're in an early <laughs> position, you're going to limp with those hands, all right? You're always going to limp. You're going to buy in short for 30 big blinds or less, all right? Four, I'll say 40, 40 big blinds or less, which a lot of places allow you to do. Hopefully, you find an aggressive game, a few people raise, there's a caller, and you just shove with your hands. Just shove. It's that easy. Now, a couple of exceptions to the rule. Be careful if the first guy's an old fart and he limps under the gun. He might have aces, so you got to be more conservative. Don't shove against him. And secondly, if you're in later position, you uh, you can't limp because there's a good chance no one's going to raise. So go ahead and just shove at that point. But when you shove, make sure that the under-the-gun guy isn't an old dude or the under-gun gun plus one isn't an old dude that's limping because he could have a big hand. I'm not saying that's anywhere close to optimal, I would be shocked if that strategy doesn't win in a one-three. So game. you're either calling or shoving all in, call you're, fold you're, or all. You're in. limping. You're limping, or the reason you're limping is because you're relying on somebody to raise. Right. Okay. And most of the time in the games these days, people gotten aggressive enough that they will raise. Um, if if no one raises and like a bunch of guys limp and the flop comes and you have top pair, you're not allowed to go broke with it. You know what? You just got to play ultra conservative and fold if you're getting. You can call one bet and then just fold. Um, but now we're getting complicated. But most of the time they're going to raise. I don't care. You got aces. If the flop comes ten, eight, five, and it all goes in, you lose. You lose. Okay, against um, multiple players. So you got to be careful. But um, in most of the games I watch, usually there's a razor, especially if you look like you have no idea what you're doing because they're going to identify you as a complete you know, fish at the table, and they're going to see you limping and say, he's a sucker, and they're going to go ahead and take advantage of you. Now, here's the important part. Once you double up, you got to cash out. Now, you got too many chips in <laughs> front of you. Just get out of here. Cash out and then wait 10 minutes and then go to a new table. 
All right? And it'll piss off all the players. Who cares? You're looking to win, not to make friends. Okay. I like it. Now, get back to how that helps beating the NBA. Thank you. Uh, you want to play against the weak line. So you, as soon as these props come up at books the night before, you want to bet these props before the numbers move. Example, opening night. This is probably a bad example because it was good the whole time. But Andrew Wiggins is injured. In preseason, he wasn't playing well, and he wasn't getting many minutes. All right, he's banged up. Some sort of knee issue. And they put up his points, rebounds, and assists at 27.5, which would be a very reasonable number for a healthy Wiggins playing for Golden State, their number three uh, best player. But right now, absolutely not. And, you know, way too high. And then uh, word was that he wasn't going to get that many minutes. And you had an opportunity where you could have played that the night before, even the morning of. And I actually gave it out to my clients as uh, best bets. To, I pretty much said any Wiggins under is good. Points, rebounds, assists, points plus assists, points plus rebounds. And then it came out there was a minutes restriction on Wiggins on top of that. But that didn't come out till 11 a.m., even though the news was already, if you had done the research properly and the hitman, I will give Tommy his full credit, was way on top of this one early on. And uh, bottom line, Wiggins went way under in all categories and all the numbers cashed. But my goodness, a lot easier to play under 27.5 than to play the closer under 23.5 on points, rebounds, and assists. But in this instance, would have been fine either way. It would have been fine. So maybe it isn't the best example, but that's um, but it's very illustrative of nothing changed. The story was out there. The information was out there. If you did your research, boom, you would have been on Wiggins under. All right. That is Steve Fezzik. This has been the Fezzik Focus Podcast. Thank you to McKenzie for running the show and his contributions. Thanks to you, Steve, and thanks to the audience. Always appreciate you guys listening. Next thing you'll hear is the Dream Preview. We're recording that tonight. It'll be out tomorrow morning. So uh, hopefully you've, you're subscribed, subscribed, subscribed to everything we got going, including the golf podcast, the college football podcast. Uh, we're trying to bring more and more podcasts to you every single week right here at pregame. We will talk to you guys later.